Sunday evening services, and the Holy Ghost has been moving. And uh, I believe that uh, tonight uh, will be no different. Tonight we're going to preach on uh, when God looks for a champion. And uh, I believe that uh, when God looks for someone great, that he can do great things through. Sometimes he looks different places than we would expect. We're going to talk about that tonight. But today, if you'll turn your Bibles to Second Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 10, and then we're going to skip forward a few pages to the gospel according to Luke, Luke chapter number 22 and verse 31, and uh, read a verse of Scripture there. Second Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 10 says, To whom ye forgive anything, I forgive also. For if I forgave anything, to whom I forgave it, for your sakes forgave I it in the person of Christ. In Second Corinthians chapter number 2, the Apostle Paul is referring to a particular individual who caused great offense against the church in Corinth. Uh, uh, and apparently it's because of some incestuous relationships. And he was censured by the church according to Paul's directive. And now Paul is indicating to the church after he has been censured, after he has been essentially dealt with with uh, church discipline, now I want you to forgive him and I want you to love him. Then in verse 11 it says, Lest Satan should get an advantage of us, for we are not ignorant of his devices. The Apostle Paul says, Here is an opportunity we recognize for Satan to take advantage in the battle that we're waging against him. And we cannot let this happen. And we won't let this happen because we are not ignorant of his devices. To put it in uh, other words, we are pretty up to date with how Satan works. We are pretty clued in to how he devises things against the church and against individuals. And with that knowledge, it affects our conduct. When we are aware of how Satan works, it changes our objectives. When we realize that we're in battle against a wary foe, it changes our modus operandi. When we realize we're not just here living our lives, but we're fighting against the enemy, it changes the way we conduct ourselves because we're not ignorant of his devices. Then in Luke chapter number 22 and verse 31, right before Jesus prophesied of the apostle Peter's betrayal, Jesus said, And the Lord said, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan hath desired to have you, that he may sift you as wheat. Verse 32, But I have prayed for thee, that thy faith fail not. And when thou art converted, strengthen thy brethren. He's saying, Peter, Satan is going to sift you as wheat. There's going to be a process that Satan's going to put you through. And verse 32 gives us a clue as to what the objective of Satan's sifting is. The objective of Satan's sifting is to cause faith to fail. Satan's objective, the enemy's objective in this world, is for saints' faith to fail. Do you see that in verse 32? Apostle Peter, Satan is going to sift you as wheat. His objective is to cause your faith to fail. I pray for you that your faith fail not. Amen. And I want to preach just for a few moments this morning on this subject, kind of an interesting title, but I believe you'll get the point. My title is Don't Be Ignorant. Don't be ignorant. 
I want you to turn to somebody right now and say, don't be ignorant. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Jesus, I'm asking that you'd help us today. I believe you have some cause and purpose that you want to accomplish in this service. When we gather together here today, we gather together so that your will would be done. And Lord, you want to do something in this place today. Even above and beyond what you've already accomplished, you want to do something in this place. And God, right now we join together because our will is for your will to be done. Our desire is that you would have your way in this place. And I'm praying, dear God, that uh, Richard Brown would get out of the way. Let my flesh get out of the way so that your spirit can have its way in this place. Uh, work through us, Lord Jesus. Anoint us, Lord God. Uh, hallelujah. These lips that you've given to me, anoint them right now, Lord God, so that I can be an oracle of the Lord, so that your purpose will be accomplished, so that you can speak through me. In the name of Jesus, anoint the hearers of the word to receive what you have. Anoint those, Lord. Lord God, key figures in this service that are going to be a spark plug to your purpose. Let them be responsive to the Holy Ghost right now. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Hallelujah. Just lift up your hands again to the Lord. Hallelujah. And declare your surrender to Him. Jesus, I surrender. I surrender. I surrender my life. Hallelujah. I surrender my mouth. I surrender my gifts, Lord Jesus. I give it to you, Lord God. I want your blessing on my life. Amen. 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 Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Come on. That's it. Surrender to the Lord. Lord, right now with your praise and worship. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. God bless you and you may be seated. His name is or was Lucifer. There are many names in Scripture that are used to refer to this very real figure. Lucifer, Satan, Beelzebub, the devil, the prince of darkness, the prince, the power, the air. And on and on we could go on, the Lord of the flies. Other terms that are used to refer to this evil individual named Satan. And what we learn from the Word of God is that he started out as the leader of worship in heaven, as the most beautiful and uh, elaborately displayed angel in the heavens with all the accoutrements and design of the beauty of God's presence, all the various stones that reflected light and glory, as he reflected the glory of the Lord in the heavens. But all of us know and all of us have heard from the word of the Lord that Iniquity or sin was found in Lucifer. And this beautiful seraphim, like the seraphims that circle the throne that we see in Revelation chapter number 5, 4. Satan originally was a seraphim in heaven. And as a seraphim, he had great wisdom and great intelligence. The Bible says that iniquity was found in him and he was cast out of heaven. And he had been successful in sowing seeds of rebellion amongst the third of the angels of heaven. And so when Satan fell from heaven, as Jesus said, I beheld Satan fall from heaven as lightning with the third of the angels. And they fell onto the earth. And uh, with their rebellion came great perversion 
and uh, Satan and his legion of demons having a perverted agenda upon the earth today. The Bible lets us know that Satan is God of this world, using a little G on the word God, because Satan clearly has control and influence over the majority of human beings on the earth today. And though there are hundreds of millions, literally billions, of individuals who are under the influence of the enemy, whether they realize it or not, I'm not talking about necessarily those that are possessed by devils and making animal sacrifices and, and, uh, and, and getting pentagrams tattooed onto their arms or cut into their flesh. Obviously, they are servants of Satan. But the majority of the people who are submitted to the enemy never realize that there is a satanic control upon their life. Uh, they may not worship Satan, but uh, uh, they do things that are contrary to the will and to the word of God. But interestingly enough, one thing that I have discovered uh, practically and also from the word of the Lord is that this fiend called Satan is not focused on those uh, who he has secured control over. He doesn't focus his energy and his attention and his talents uh, on those who are submitted and under the thumb of his rule and authority, who have no interest in the things of God and are not concerned about their soul and, and uh, have not in their mind about salvation and serving God. Rather, they are concerned with pleasure and concerned with fulfilling the lusts of their flesh and the desires of this world. And Satan's object of his obsession are not those who are willing to drink his brew or smoke his uh, uh, smoke his uh, interesting drugs or worship his gods. Uh, Satan's object of obsession are not those uh, who are under his control, but he commits himself uh, uh, to uh, uh, the destruction of those who worship and serve Jesus Christ. Uh, those that live for the Lord are those who Satan abhors. And interestingly enough, although the vast majority of human beings uh, are his prey and under his authority and he has control over them, his attention is focused uh, on the church of the living God. Amen. He is uh, focused on those who come to church and uh, commit to serve the kingdom of God and love to worship the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, if you're a worshiper, you're a target of the enemy. If you serve God and are involved in ministry, you become a target of the enemy. If you start seeking after God or drawing close to Him or begin to grow in the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, uh, Satan, who used to leave you alone, now makes you a target and begins to focus on you. It's a reality and it's a fact of life. When you walk away from Jesus and you reject the Lord Jesus Christ, Satan no longer has you in his crosshairs. He's already taken you out. But when you begin to make a step toward the Lord Jesus Christ, when you accept the Lord and make a decision to follow after Him, when you fall down at an altar of repentance and give your life to the Lord and go down the waters of baptism to have your sins washed away, when you're sealed with the seal of the Holy Spirit, you become a target of the enemy. And He focuses His vast knowledge and intellect and skill and divisiveness on you. Amen. He's not focused on the rest of this world and their devious uh, uh, intentions 
intentions. He is focused on the church. He can't get it out of his mind. It keeps him awake at night, if you would. It disturbs him when he looks down and sees a little church where there are people who have decided to swim against the flow of society and not submit to the whim of the enemy and fall in line with the dictates of this world, but have determined that they will follow the Lord Jesus Christ regardless of what the world says, regardless of how the enemy rages. They've decided to live for God. And Satan says, I hate it. And so as the church of the living God, we are wise to understand, first of all, that there is an enemy. Satan does not want you to make it to heaven. He does not want you to be numbered among the redeemed. And it really eats his lunch when you worship the Lord. Did you know that? I wonder why. Most of you know why. Because he used to be the leader of worship in heaven. He was the one who reflected the glory of God. See, when we see the description of Lucifer, we see him with a variety of stones. And the glory of God was reflected through. And then the refracted light. See, in this imagery, we see a reflection. An augmentation of God's glory as the glory of God is throughout all the heavens and he was responsible he was responsible for reflecting the glory of God he was responsible for voicing and expressing and shining forth God's glory and so when he fell from his lofty position and when he rebelled against the Lord no doubt it makes him upset when there are people on earth who have been redeemed by the blood of the lamb and they use their voice they use their hands their feet to begin to reflect the glory of God and begin to make known the goodness of Jesus and begin to lift up the Lord just like he was lifted on the cross the praise of God's people we have essentially supplanted the position of the enemy and he is upset whenever we begin to worship the Lord it digs him it gets under his skin he can't stand it he sits back and it bugs him he's envious if you would he's malicious against the church especially those that are worshipers that's why I love to worship the Lord because while I know I'm pleasing God on one hand I also know I'm making the enemy mad on the other hand that's why it's great to worship the Lord amen Hallelujah. It's your great privilege and wonderful opportunity to give praise to the Lord, to open up a pathway. Man, worship is awesome, isn't it? It opens up a pathway for God to bless us, as we learned last week. It opens up an opportunity for the Lord to bless us, and it also gives us an opportunity to rear back and give the devil a black eye one more time. When I shout, Jesus is almighty. When I say there's something about the name of the Lord, when I say there's something about Jesus, it digs at the enemy and stirs him up and aggravates him and angers him because now I'm a worshiper of Jesus Christ. Now we lead in expressions of praise to the Lord. Somebody praise him right now. Clap your hands to the Lord. The objective of the enemy on the earth today, I believe, we see clearly in Luke chapter 22 and verse 31. And that is, just like Satan wanted to sift Peter as wheat. Satan had desired that he might sift you. Notice, Satan had to come for permission first. 
which lets us know that God's in charge ultimately. Jesus said, it's going to happen. But I'm praying for you that your faith fail not because with the sifting, there's a purpose. And the purpose is the failure of your faith. And so I submit tonight to you, this morning to you, that the objective of Satan on the earth today is not just to kill babies in the womb and not just to destroy the morale in America. But Satan's number one objective is to take people who have faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. When I say faith, I don't mean that they believe in Jesus. I believe, I mean faith. Faith is active. See what I'm saying? I'm not talking about people that sit at home on the couch eating potato chips and watching the boob tube and say, yeah, I believe in Jesus. That's not faith. That's mental assent. Come on now. Faith are those who are active in serving God. See, because if you really believe the message, you can't sit at home on your couch and eat potato chips. Come on, if you really believe Jesus is God and people are worshiping the Lord in spirit and in truth, you've got to be in the middle of it. If you really believe Jesus is God and the word of the Lord is true and, and he's coming again and there's great judgment and damnation coming on the earth, I can't sit back and eat chips and watch the tube when there's people going to hell all around me and I could be a part of a ministry that's reaching out to them. See, that's what we're doing here together as the church. You know, what, what, whatever we do as the church, our uh, ultimate objective is to try to reach people. Reach people that are lost and reach into a lost and dying world. And people who are people of faith uh, are the ones that are active in the kingdom of God. And they are the ones that become the target of the enemy. Amen? Anybody know what I'm talking about? Anybody ever made a step of faith toward God and felt the pressure of the enemy? Anybody ever made a decision to get closer to the Lord and watched as the enemy began to attack you and attack your mind and tried to discourage you and try to influence you to make a, a separate decision other than the decision that you're making to get closer to the Lord? Why? It's because Satan's objective is to cause faith to fail. And if somebody has no faith, Satan has no interest in them. They're already his little minion. But if we have faith, faith in our heart stands out as a symbol to God that he can do miracles through us. But it also stands out as a symbol to Satan. Faith is like something he wants to attack. It's like a bulwark he wants to establish himself against. It's like a beachhead he wants to establish against us. If you've got faith, if you believe in God, if your faith is active in the kingdom of the Lord, don't be ignorant. Satan has devices. Don't be ignorant. His objective is to undermine and erode your faith in God. So, it becomes incumbent upon us to know our enemy. Don't be ignorant. Because if you're ignorant of the enemy's devices, you will ignorantly and blindly walk into a trap that the enemy has laid for you. Or step into a snare. The Bible talks many times about the snare, or the snare of the fowler. How that uh, these people who are trapping animals lay out a snare. And uh, the temptation is there. And the person falls prey to the temptation. And they're snared by their captor. And when you understand the enemy, and when you seek to know the enemy, you will not ignorantly or blindly Walk into traps or snares. The Bible says that we are to be vigilant. We are to be watchful. We are to have our eyes open. Please understand, I have not come to glorify Satan. 
I have not come to exalt our enemy because ultimately he is a defeated foe. No weapon formed against us shall prosper. Amen. Who shall separate us from the love of God? There's nothing that can separate us from the love of the Lord. There's a list and a litany of things that would try to separate us, but nothing can separate us from the love of God. Hallelujah. However, it becomes incumbent upon us to be aware and knowledgeable of our enemy. You know, we have superior firepower as the United States of America, but we would be foolish to try to fight against terrorists without trying to know every single device that they have. Every single uh, approach that they take to try to fight against us. No, they don't engage in conventional warfare. They'll be defeated every time. The same is true with Satan. If Satan came and tried to oppose us in the middle of a church service, he knows better than that. Amen? Because there's power in the name of Jesus. There's authority in the name of Jesus. He's given us power to tread on scorpions and serpents. He's given us power over the enemy. So the devil does not confront us. The devil's like Hezbollah. The devil hides behind civilians and and does little divisive attacks and maneuvers. He knows we've got the firepower to take him out, uh, but he knows if we're not vigilant and watchful, he can cause us to fall into a trap. That's why we need to know our enemy. Amen? Don't be ignorant of the devil's devices. Don't just go... Walking around with no concern about the enemy. That'd be like the United States of America after being hit on 9-11, having no security in the airports and just letting anybody get on a flight with anything that they want. That'd be ignorant, wouldn't it? Why? Because we know the enemy's devices. And the same is true with the kingdom of God. There are some things that we don't do now that we understand the enemy. There are certain safeguards that we make in our thinking and in the way we conduct ourselves because we are aware of the snares and the traps of the enemy. Don't be ignorant and just step into a foolish trap that the enemy has set for you. Amen? Know your enemy. Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom he may devour. This ancient creature called Satan is very crafty. He was the exalted angel, this seraphim, this great intelligent being who, when he went to the dark side, his intelligence was converted to craft and deception. And he uses this with skill against people in the church of the living God. And remember what his objective is. He wants to destroy your faith. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. You are saved by grace through faith. Your salvation is predicated on the foundation that you believe God. You believe He is. You believe He's a rewarder of them that seek Him. Your confidence is in a God that you cannot see. You cannot hear, but you can sure feel Him. Amen? Your faith is in God, and Satan's objective is to use his craft, his deception, to somehow undermine your faith. Revelation 12 and 9, that great dragon was cast out that old serpent called the devil and Satan which deceiveth the whole world everybody say the whole world he deceiveth the whole world he was cast out into the earth and his angels were cast out with him we understand that Satan's craft is deception Satan's craft is deception everybody say deception 
deception is the craft of the enemy. It is the uh, device, the greatest device of the enemy is deception. Making something look like something that is not. Uh, making something appear a certain way when it is not a certain way. Deception is the trap of the enemy. We know that Satan's a liar. John eight forty four. you're of your father the devil and the lust of your father ye will do. He was a murderer from the beginning and abode not in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he speaketh a lie, he speaketh of his own for he is a liar and a fa- and the father of it. We know that Satan is a liar and Satan is uh, uh, the, the king, if you would, of deception. He is the leader of deception. And also uh, one of Satan's deceptive appearances is as an angel of light in Second Corinthians 11 and 13 for such are false apostles, deceitful workers, transforming themselves into the apostles of Christ. And no marvel for Satan himself is transferred into an angel of light. The Bible says in the last days there will be false apostles, deceitful workers, transforming themselves into apostles of Jesus Christ. Verse 15, therefore it is no great thing if if his ministers also be transformed as the ministers of righteousness, whose end shall be according to their works. That lets me know that some of Satan's ministers or workers on the earth appear as ministers of righteousness. And some preachers are hidden agents of the enemy, and their craft is deception. That's what the Bible says. Are you with me right now? We don't go calling names and pointing fingers and casting aspersions on people. But the Bible lets us know that everybody that touts the name of Jesus and declares righteousness and appears as an apostle of light is not from the right side of the track. Is not from the right side of the battle. Is not from the right side of the light versus dark battle that this world is in. Satan has certain ministers of deception, and their purpose is to destroy the faith of God's people. Some preachers themselves are hidden agents of the enemy. Listen to this, Second Thessalonians two nine. Even him whose coming is after the working of Satan, with all power and signs and lying wonders, the Antichrist, and with all deceivableness of unrighteousness in them that perish, because they received not the love of the truth, that they might be saved. And for this cause God shall send them strong delusion, that they should believe a lie, and that 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 they all might be damned who believe not the truth, but had pleasure in unrighteousness. Don't be ignorant. In the last days, there will be those who appear as servants of righteousness, as Apostles of light, whose craft is deception, and whose objective is to undermine people's confidence in the truth. The Bible says those that receive not a love for the truth will receive from God strong delusion so that they would believe a lie and be damned. Let me tell you one thing. I hate to break it to you, but the Bible makes it clear that there will be quote-unquote Christian leaders and Christian preachers who will actually be servants of the enemy, whose objective is to undermine your confidence in the truth, to delude your belief in the one true and the living God and the gospel message and cause you to believe a lie and be deaf. Don't be ignorant. In the last days, you better have your talons sunk into the Word of God. You better be anchored to the truth of the living God. 
There's a spirit at work in this world to destroy truth. There's a spirit of Antichrist already at work to call those uh, who believe in the Word of God and have confidence in the Word of the Lord and believe the gospel message and call them intolerant. Let me go ahead and tell you this right now. I'll go ahead and say it right now. Even in the church world, the oneness, apostolic, Jesus-named people have been persecuted by other Christians, mistreated, ignored, looked down on, spoken negatively of. Why? Because we believe that Jesus is the only way to the Lord. And through Jesus Christ and water baptism in the name of Jesus and the infilling of the Holy Ghost is the only way. We believe what the apostles believe and we're persecuted for it. Why? Because there's a spirit of deception in the world today. There's a spirit that says if you believe the truth, something is wrong with you. If you believe this quote-unquote truth, there's something wrong with you today. That's why we better not be ignorant. Amen? We better realize that no matter whether or not we get persecuted for the Jesus name message, no matter even if the rest of the church world comes together and says, what's wrong with you guys? Why won't you join up with us? It doesn't matter. We've got to hold on to the truth of God's word. I'm saying you better receive a love for the truth. You better receive a love for the truth. See, there's some people that believe the truth, but they don't love the truth. There's some people who have accepted the truth, but they haven't fallen in love with the truth. Uh, They're in dangerous territory because they're prey to the deceiver. Somewhere along the way, if you're not ignorant, you better fall in love with Jesus. Somewhere along the way, if you're not ignorant, you better fall in love with the gospel message. It's the only hope of salvation to this world that we live in today. Somebody, hallelujah, hear the word of the Lord. Hear the word of the preacher. Don't be ignorant of the enemy's devices. Realize that in the last days, there will be grievous wolves that will come in among the church. You better have confidence in the word of God. You better have a knowledge of the word of God. You better have a foundation of truth. Hallelujah. Satan's attacking and sifting this battle for your faith, for your salvation. This battle has a battleground. And the battleground for satanic attack against you, it's not in your backyard. It's not in your house. It's not in your bedroom. Not even in your prayer room. But the battleground of the enemy, where he is seeking to destroy your faith, and you're fighting against him with the shield of faith and the sword of the Spirit. The battleground is not Armageddon, not your backyard, not your bedroom or your prayer room. The battleground is between your ears. The battleground is in your mind. Satan desires to have influence over the way that you think. Because if he can influence the way that you think, amen, then he can have great control. Let me read to you the New Living Translation of a very familiar passage of Scripture in Ephesians chapter 6. It says, put on all of God's armor so that you'll be able to stand firm against all strategies and tricks of the devil. For we are not fighting against people made of flesh and blood, but against the evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world against those mighty powers of darkness who rule this world and against wicked spirits in heavenly realms. Verse 13, use every piece of God's armor to resist the enemy in the time of evil so that after the battle you will be standing firm. That's the key. After the battle you'll be standing firm. 
After the battle, you still got your faith. After the battle, you're still coming to church. Come on now. After the battle, you're still living for God. After the battle, you still got a good attitude. After the battle, you still love Jesus and you still love your brother and still love your pastor. After the battle, come on now, that you stand up firm. 14. Stand your ground, putting on the sturdy belt of truth and the body armor of God's righteousness. For shoes put on the peace that comes from the good news so that you will be fully prepared. In every battle, you will need faith as your shield to stop the fiery arrows aimed at you by Satan. Where are the arrows aimed at? Everybody point to your head. This is where the arrows are aimed at. The fiery darts or the fiery arrows aimed at you by Satan. Verse 17, put down salvation as your helmet and take the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. That's your offensive weapon. Amen? Why? Because there's promises in the Word of God. We don't fight devil with the devil with our will. We fight the devil with God's promises. Amen? By faith in the promises of God. Pray at all times and on every occasion in the power of the Holy Spirit. Pray in the Holy Ghost. Stay alert and be persistent in your prayers for all Christians everywhere. Now, you may not know it or not, but Satan does realize that the battle for your faith happens in your brain. The battle for your faith happens in your mind. If you're going to make it to heaven, or if he can take you to hell, it's going to be determined between your ears, in your way of thinking, in your thought processes, in your concepts. And if you are a victorious Christian, and in your mind you have a victorious and an overcoming mindset, then you're a tough nut for the devil to crack. If you believe you're going to be victorious, it's hard for the enemy to come against you. If you have a strong and plucky constitution in your brain that says I'm going to come out on top. I'm going to be victorious because I'm on the side of the Lord and Jesus is with me. Every battle that I face He's with me and things that happen in my life happen for a purpose. My life's not just some random series of events but God's in the midst of it all. If you have a mindset that says even when I go through tough times God's behind it. Even when I face difficulties. I know God's with me. When you have that kind of a mindset, you become a challenge for the enemy to defeat. But if you, on the other hand, with every trial and tribulation, begin to wonder if Jesus has forgotten you, and wonder if there is a God, and wonder if God has left you behind, then you become easy prey for the enemy. Don't be ignorant. Learn how to control your mind. The Bible says we are to gird up the loins of our mind. What does gird up loins mean? Any of you have heard before that in uh, Bible times they didn't wear pants, they wore robes. And uh, any of you realize that if you've got a robe, you're trying to run a race, it gets in the way. Stop it. But whenever a man went to battle, the Bible would say, gird up your loins like a man. That would mean take the skirts of their robe. They would pull the Like a pair of pants, so that they could fight in the battle, so that they could run. They would not be by the flapping of the robe. The Bible says only a man was to gird up the loins. But the Bible says spiritually that we're to gird up the loins of our mind. Why? Because we're going to battle. 
And we don't need to be encumbered. We don't need something that's going to trip us up. We don't need something that's going to work against us. Let me tell you, your mind can work for you or against you. And so you've got to gird up the loins of your mind. Say, in my thinking, I'm not going to allow the superfluity that keeps me entangled and makes me uh, 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 susceptible to the enemy attack. But in the name of Jesus Christ, I'm going to gird up the loins of my mind. In another place, the Bible says, casting down imagination and bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Jesus Christ. You have to do war, and it has to be a mental war. I'm going to be victorious. I'm going to be an overcomer. I'm going to come out on top. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And any thought, any thought that comes into my mind that would lead me astray, I cast it down immediately. Any thought that opposes the Word of God, I cast it down. Some people say be open, be more open-minded. And I like the old saying, some people are so open-minded that their brains have fallen out. Be open-minded. The Bible doesn't say be open-minded. The Bible says cast down every thought that exalteth itself against the knowledge of Jesus Christ. That means there's some things I don't even listen to. Some things I don't even ruminate about. Some things I don't even let take up a resting place in my thinking capacity. Why? Because the Bible says that I cast down every thought that exalts itself against the word of the Lord. Amen? Somebody said, well, I was thinking. I said, that's your problem. You think too much. You need to read the word of God. Get the word in your heart so the mind of Christ is in you. Amen? Don't be ignorant of the enemy's devices. The devil likes to tell those who are seeking to please God and in their mind convince them that they've made too many mistakes and as a result they cannot live for God. Amen? Satan says you can't be a witness. You can't be a worshiper. You can't receive the Holy Ghost. You've made too many mistakes. You've started and stopped too many times. That's the enemy's fiery darts. Don't be ignorant of the enemy's devices. Why do you think Satan wants you to feel that you're not worthy? I don't know. Why do you think Satan wants you to feel that you're not worthy? Why do you think Satan wants you to feel that you can't receive the Holy Ghost? Why do you think Satan wants you to feel that you can't live an overcoming life? Why do you think Satan wants you to feel that you can't be victorious? The only reason I can see that he would want to convince me of that is because he knows that the opposite is true and that I can be victorious. And if I need the Holy Ghost, I can receive the Holy Ghost. And I can be a witness. I can do. But see, if he can convince me in my mind that I can't do it, then I never do it. Hallelujah. And he has some measure of control in my thinking. Let me tell you this about the fiery darts or the fiery arrows of the enemy. I believe that these are thoughts and impressions that the enemy can send our direction. He has the power. He has the power to send thoughts and ideas and impressions. Maybe in the spirit realm. It may be through media. It may be through individuals, what they say. But they're fiery darts of the enemy. You may be talking to somebody who's an agent of Satan. Don't even realize it. Now, you know what I'm talking about? You may be talking to somebody that don't even realize, but their words are darts of the enemy. Fiery darts of the enemy. And where are they focused? They're focused at your mind. See, I don't believe that Satan knows your thoughts. The Lord knows your thoughts. He's omniscient. He knows everything. The Bible doesn't say Satan is omniscient. I don't believe he can read your thoughts, but I do believe he can send arrows your way. 
He can send thoughts your way through different agents. Uh, and uh, <clears throat> and uh, what you have to understand, if you want to be victorious in the kingdom of God, if you want to be an overcomer, you have to realize Satan's agenda and realize that he knows that uh, if you feel victorious, you will be victorious. If you think you're going to overcome, you will overcome. But if he can send enough fiery darts to convince you that you're not going to be victorious, uh, then he has won the battle. Is anybody with me here? This is how the battle is fought. This is how it's won or lost, by the enemy convincing you through his external stimuli, through thoughts, through words uh, from somebody else, through a medium, uh, through a newspaper. Who knows what it is? Uh, But it's a fiery dart of the enemy that's come to undermine your faith. That's why you've got to have your shield of faith up so that you can quench uh, every arrow of the enemy so that you can soak it up. Amen? Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Satan is a discourager, a deceiver. He's a destroyer. He's a divider. He's a man or a being with many devices. Church, don't be ignorant of the enemy's devices. If you are fighting a good fight, expect an attack of the enemy. One of the greatest attacks of the enemy, that's the last thing I want to share with you today. One of the greatest attacks of the enemy is discouragement. Discouragement. And remember I said Now, the Word of God said that Satan is a deceiver. It's deception. It's his craft. And so discouragement comes through a twisting of the facts. If you take the root word of discouragement, you find the word courage. It takes courage to live for God. Anybody believe that? It takes courage to live for God. Amen. It doesn't take courage to get excited about God for a week or two, but it takes courage to live for God. Amen? It takes a courageous person. And so for the enemy to keep us from living for God and to undermine our faith, he uses discouragement. And he knows that if I can discourage you, then you have nothing left to fight me with. Don't be ignorant of the enemy's devices. If Satan can discourage you, he knows that if he can discourage you, you have nothing left to fight him with. Satan's discouragement comes through the twisting of facts. Man, anybody familiar with how they make television shows and movies using props in Hollywood? When they uh, make a television show and you see a house or a building, it may not really be a house or a building. It looks like a house. Driving down the street, they pan down the street and you see all these houses, but Anybody that's ever been to Universal Studios knows that it's not really a house. It's not really a building. It just looks like one. not really a spaceship. It's not really a big alien. It looks like one. See, Hollywood's really good at deception. Have you ever thought about it? They're really, really good at deception, making something look like something that it's not. Uh, appearances can be deceiving. Can I get an amen? Appearances can be very, very deceiving. And so Satan is a master 
at making things appear a certain way, even though they may not be that way. Come on, I've come to talk to you about discouragement today. Satan is a master at causing something and setting a stage so that you see it, and a brief glimpse gives you the impression that things are a certain way. But if you could get behind the facade, you would realize that it's just a prop of the enemy to try to discourage you. It's just a prop of the enemy to try to steal your faith and undermine your confidence in the Word of God. Don't be ignorant. Satan's good at deception. He is a master at making things appear a certain way. After all, he works for Hollywood, or Hollywood works for him. I'm not sure how it works, but... But the lion-like courage of a true believer, Satan wants to steal that. And discouragement is the twisting of facts and misrepresentation of evidence and manipulating of visuals. Satan wants to bluff you. Amen? He wants to get you to believe that things are on the down. He wants to get you to believe that things are getting worse. He wants to get you to believe that he's going to end up on top and you're going to end up defeated. He wants to get you to believe that your job's going to fizzle on you. He wants to get you to believe that your kids are going to get worse and worse. He wants to cause you to believe that the situation's going to get even worse than it is right now. Satan wants to get you to believe that you're going to fall back into your old sins. Satan wants to get you to believe that your family's going to break apart. See, and he puts evidence together, but it's a prop. It's a facade. It's a sham. It's a farce. It's not the real thing. Amen? When you look beyond Satan's evidences, you realize that it's just a prop. Why? Because the real battle is not whether or not your marriage stays together. The real battle is whether your faith in God stays strong. And so his real deal is to impress you of a certain thing, to steal your faith. Don't be ignorant. He said, don't be ignorant of what the devil is doing. Realize that his objective, when he presents his case and lays out the facts, His whole purpose is to undermine your faith and to discourage you so that you have no courage to fight against the enemy. Satan's bluff. Greater is he that's in me than he that's in the world. No weapon formed against me will prosper. And Satan always likes to make it look like he's on the upper hand, even if he's not. Hey, man, if you look at Calvary, it looks an awful lot like a victory for Satan, doesn't it? If you look at the cross, it looks like Satan's winning. You hear the jeering crowds. You hear the gasping breaths of the master. You see the blood forming in a pool at the foot of a cross. And you say, Satan, you uh, struck a blow today. It looks like Satan's victorious. But anybody that knows anything about the Word of God realizes that it wasn't a victory for Satan that day. Amen? But it was a victory for the kingdom of God that day. Because if Jesus didn't die on a cross, uh, then I couldn't be standing before you preaching today. There's no telling where I'd be if it weren't for that pool of blood that seemed a symbol of Satan. Satan's victory at the foot of the cross, it really was a symbol of my salvation. It was a symbol of hope for you and me. See, the whole point is, Satan makes things look a certain way and tries to convince you to think a certain way. But don't be ignorant of his devices. Realize, hallelujah, what his purpose is and his objective is. That's why I refuse to be discouraged. I refuse to be. Yeah, but what about this? What about that? What about this report? What about what this person said? What about how this person's acting? I refuse to be discouraged. 
I'm not going to ignore the facts and bury my head in the sand. But see, what we do as human beings, we take a little snippet. And then we let the devil put a whole lot to it. And we end up having this whole facade built. And we think the world's caving in on us. And we think this situation's about to fall apart. When in reality, it's just an effort of Satan to discourage you. It's just a means of the devil trying to get you to give up and to quit and be discouraged and let your faith be eroded. But I'm here to tell you today, just like the apostle, don't be ignorant of the devil's devices. Don't be ignorant of the devil's devices. You can be victorious. Hallelujah. You can be victorious. So don't just accept negativity. It might not be as it appears. Jacob looks out of his tent. His boys are coming home. He counts the boys. One of them's missing. Where's, where's Joseph? Comes out of the tent and they extend to him a torn and bloody coat and drop it at his feet. And he looks at the coat and he doesn't have to listen to them. Because the evidence is clear. The evidence dictates, my beloved son, my hope for tomorrow, the reason I wake up every morning with a smile on my face, is dead. He's been torn by beasts and eaten by animals. I think we would all agree that it looked like that, didn't it? Are you still with me, Jacob? It looks like Joseph's gone. looks like he's been eaten by an enemy. And for years, uh, he lived his life in sorrow based on the evidence that was presented to him by some evil brothers with some evil mindsets and an evil purpose. Uh, Let me tell you, if those evil boys can do it, don't think that Satan can't produce a bloody coat in your situation and cause you to believe the situation's past and dead and gone and hopeless. Uh, Let me tell you, Satan's good at deception. He always overplays his hands. He always presents things a whole lot bigger than they actually are. And if we can get discouraged and depressed in his purpose, his agenda, his objective has been accomplished. Don't be ignorant. Don't be ignorant of the devil's devices. Don't accept negativity at face value. Amen. Don't let it get you into a funk. Don't let it get you discouraged. Don't accept negativity. Hallelujah. Elijah sits there crying under a juniper tree, saying, I am left alone, and they seek my life. Nobody's with me. Everybody's against me. God says, you have no clue. That's the way that it appears, but the reality is different. Don't be ignorant. Realize that Satan wants you to be discouraged. Come on, Satan wants you discouraged. So that's why I refuse to be discouraged. Amen? Man, I wish you would preach with me like you do on Sunday night. My God. Satan wants you to be discouraged. That's why I refuse to be discouraged. Amen? Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I refuse to be discouraged because I'm not going to fall into the trap of the enemy. I'm not going to be ignorant of the enemy's devices. I gotta guard my courage and my morale. I'm not gonna let anybody take it from me. I get to choose my thoughts, uh, and I get to have a certain degree of choice over what kind of stimulus comes into me and who I listen to and who I talk to. Amen? It's impossible to remain discouraged without thinking discouraging thoughts. Quit thinking discouraging thoughts. Quit focusing on your problems. Quit focusing on negative things. You know what? Everybody has negative things. Everybody goes through tough times. 
But you get to choose what you're going to think about. You get to choose what you're going to focus on. If you focus on the negative and on the problems and on the difficulty, you're being ignorant. You're falling in the trap of the enemy. Don't focus on it. Focus on the goodness of God. Focus on the fact that He's going to build a tower and you're going to run into it and be saved. Jesus is on your side. The enemy cannot defeat you. Hallelujah. Let's stand together and clap our hands to the Lord. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Amen. i, I got to get up every day and realize when I get out of bed, Satan wants me to be discouraged. Satan wants me to feel bad about my effort, lack of effort. Satan wants me to feel bad about the fact that I forgot to pray yesterday. Satan wants me to feel miserable about the fact that I lost my temper or looked at something I shouldn't have. Satan wants me to be so discouraged that I give up. He wants to destroy my faith. He's trying to erode my confidence in God. I've got to wake up every morning and realize that. Don't be ignorant. Come on. Don't be ignorant that there's a real war. You think it's just your mind. You think it's just you. Understand that it is the enemy. If you're trying to live for God, don't be ignorant. There's an enemy trying to defeat you, trying to discourage you. Wake up in the morning realizing there are things going to come my way that would probably discourage me, but I'm not going to let them discourage me because uh, I understand the enemy's ways. I understand his tactics. I'm aware of his devices, and I'm not going to fall prey to that. Amen? Hallelujah. And and when I wake up in the morning and I decide I'm not going to allow myself to be discouraged, and I'm going to watch my mouth today. Amen. I'm going to watch my mouth today. Praise the Lord. I want you to say, I'm going to watch my mouth. I'm going to watch my mouth. That's biblical. I know you heard your mama say it before when you were little. Watch your mouth, kid. But it's biblical. Mama knew what she was talking about when she said, watch your mouth. Uh, the Bible says we should be careful what we say. Amen? Because our speech uh, and our speaking gives clues to the enemy how to further discourage us. Uh, Psalms 39 one said, I said, I will take heed to my ways that I sin not with my tongue. I will keep my mouth with a bridle while the wicked is before me. I'm not going to speak and let my tongue lead me into wickedness. Psalms 141 and 3 says, Set a watch, O Lord, before my mouth. Keep the doors of my lips. Why? Because what comes out of my mouth? Hallelujah. The Bible says you're not defiled by what comes into your mouth. You're defiled by what comes out of your mouth. Amen? It's not what you eat that ruins you. It's not what you drink that ruins you. But it's what you speak that ruins you. you got to watch your mouth. Don't be ignorant of the devil's devices. When you speak, speak positive. When you speak, speak victory. When you speak, speak overcoming. Come on, while I'm preaching to you and pointing one finger, I got three coming back at me. Because when I speak, I don't want to speak negative. When I think, I don't want to think negative. When I wake up and I feel the attack of the enemy before I crawl out of the covers, I'm going to get up and say, today is the day that the Lord has made. I will not fall prey to the enemy. I will rejoice and be glad in it. You can talk your way into trouble, and you can talk your way out of trouble. Hallelujah. There's power in your tongue and power in your mouth. Watch your mouth. Speak positive. Believe God. Don't be ignorant of the devil's devices. Amen. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Because at the end of the day, it boils down to one thing. I'm either going to walk through the golden golden pearly gates into the golden city, or I'm not going to. And if I don't, the alternative is pretty bleak. The whole thing boils down to this. 
uh, that I'm going to get wrapped up in this world, wrapped up in my life, and ignore the message of Jesus Christ, and I'm going to miss the rapture and be around for the tribulation and stand before a righteous judge and have to explain to him why I rejected the message of Jesus Christ and the blood that he shed for me. Or, amen, on the flip side, I can go to heaven. I can be right with God. I can take people with me. It all boils down to that. It all boils down to this. That's why you can't afford to be ignorant. Come on, that's why you can't afford to be ignorant. I'm, pr- I'm pulling for your soul right now. I'm reaching for you. Your spiritual eternal destination is to be right with God and be full of the Spirit and be on fire for God and have the Holy Ghost on the inside. Amen. And be ready to meet the Lord in the air. Don't be ignorant of the devil's devices. Be aware. Hallelujah. And be an overcomer and be victorious and hold on to your faith. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Let's lift up our hands to the Lord. Come on, lift up your hearts to Him right now. Hallelujah. Jesus, I praise You. Jesus, I worship You. Hallelujah, Lord. Hallelujah, Lord. Hallelujah. Hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. In the name of the Lord, in the name of the Lord, in the name of the Lord, in the name of the Lord. Hallelujah, Lord. Hallelujah, Lord. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. And before we leave, I want to give you an opportunity to respond to the Word of the Lord. And this is real important because as we established a couple weeks ago from the Word of God, that the message can be useless It can be a perfect message, but it's useless if you don't respond by mixing faith with it. So you've got to respond to the word of the Lord. You can't just say, well, that was a good message. You've got to respond to it. One way you can respond is by talking back to the preacher, saying, amen, I believe it, I agree. But then at the end of the service, there's an opportunity for you to respond to the word of the Lord. And I think it's real important uh, before we leave the house of the Lord, because there's a word for somebody that you need to get in your spirit. It's in your ears and in your brain right now. But you said, God, you said, God, I believe this word and I want it into my spirit. And I'm going to respond to the word of the Lord. And before we leave for just a few moments, they're going to sing. And I want us to gather around the front. We're going to respond to the word of the Lord. Lift up our hands. Say, God, I believe it. I receive your word. I accept the word. God, I pray, Lord Jesus, that you would help me not to fall prey to the enemy, not to be ignorant of his devices, not to let discouraging thoughts and discouraging words keep me from being encouraged in the Lord. Hallelujah. Responding to the word of the Lord, mixing faith with the word of God and receiving what God has for you today. Amen. Hallelujah. Let's just close our eyes right now. And as they begin to sing, I want you to make a take a few moments now to come to the front. We're going to respond to the word of the Lord together. Hallelujah, Lord. Hallelujah, Lord. Hallelujah. Whose report will you believe? We shall believe the report of the Lord. Whose report will you believe? We shall
question is, whose report are you going to believe? Some of you have been listening to the enemy's report. Some of us have been listening to the enemy's report. The enemy may have been telling you that it's going to fall apart, that you're going to lose your job. The enemy may be telling you that, that, that the problems in the marriage are going to get worse. The enemy may be telling you problems with the kids are going to get worse. You fill in the blank of whatever Satan's been doing to try to get you discouraged. Come on, are you with me now? You got the blank filled in? You know what I'm talking about, don't you now? See, the enemy says the church is going down. But the report of the Lord says the church is going to double in 07. So as a pastor, I have to decide what I'm going to listen to. Do I listen to the report of the enemy? Or do I listen to the report of the Lord? Whose report am I going to believe? That's a real important thing. Do I believe the enemy's report, which says we're going down? Or do I believe the Lord's report, which says we're going to grow like we've never grown before? Do I believe the Lord's report that says, now's the time in 07, a Spanish-speaking church at 380 South Roseland Boulevard. And then in July of 07, a Korean-speaking service on Sunday here at 380 South Roseland Boulevard. What do you think I'm wise to listen to and believe as a leader? Now apply that to your situation. you got a choice to believe one way or the other. And it's going to make a difference whose report that you believe. We're going to sing this song one more time before we leave. And as we sing, whose report will you believe? And you shout out, we shall believe the report of the Lord. I want you to rejoice in the Lord. I want you to shout unto God. I want you to respond to this 
song the way in, in such a way that, that, that the enemy knows, that the Lord knows, that everybody knows. You're going to believe the report of the Lord. Sing it one more time. Hallelujah. Whose report will you believe? We shall believe the report of the Lord. Whose report will you believe? We shall believe the report of the Lord. His report says, I am healed. His report says, I am healed. His report says, I am free. His report says, Yeah. 
Free! 